Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to Ranks FC, your favourite football podcast. We are back for another week. My name is Jack Collins, and I will be your host today. Joining me, as ever, the Rank God, Mr. Sam Tai. Hello, mates. Hello, mate. And, of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, Jackson. How are we, mate? We're good. We're good. It's been an exciting week. We had last week's Copa del Rey final. It didn't oh. end quite how we wanted. But for those of you following us on Instagram, we had a magnificent day, didn't we, boys? We had a lovely time together. Some, yeah, I think good content. I think I can class it as good content. And then just a good time catching up, lads, wasn't it? Like finally seeing each other's faces all together in the same room again what a treat especially for sam's girlfriend who got to watch us all reunite um in her back garden yeah the terrace was cold by the end of it but uh um, was it fun. yeah yeah we had fun sam yeah we did yeah absolutely we had a lot of fun we uh we made jack cook uh while while dean and i sat in the garden that was good yeah he was, was a good that... cook as well that was a big surprise yeah uh, most of all, just to see, me. just to see. I mean, I'd seen Jack three days before to play football, and a couple of weeks before that to film for the Europa League show. So I was pretty bored of Jack by this point. Wow. It was Dean. I was really looking forward to seeing it. That's first. why you shoved. That's why you shoved me off to cook while yeah. you, while you two, you know, yeah. caught up in the garden. But yeah, you know, yeah. So I, I live to serve, as they say. <laughs> you did, Valar Mogulis, and we drank those silly drinks as well. Oh, we drank calamachos. Yeah, we made calamachos. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, and I silly drinks. Yeah, I can never say that. What's it called? Calamocha. What did I call it on the day? Camocha. <laughs> Capri Sun. Cali Meg. <laughs> you, yeah, you, you're you're not great at pronunciation. So I just can't are, remember it. The rest of us are carrying it. the weight. Right. Should we do some things we love before we get into oh. the, the big one? Because we're going to be talking about the well players of the season. Voting opens this week. It's all very exciting for the Premier League, but. Before we do so, uh, Sam, do you want to kick us off with things you love? Okay, yeah, I thought I'd um, I'd step on Jack's toes a bit this week and talk about a Fiorentina player, Dusan Vlaovic. Now he's someone that we've definitely mentioned or referenced sparingly over the last couple of months, but in particular over the last month or so, it feels like he's really hit a vein of form and maybe maybe really hit a, a vein of consistency that I think either I was getting unlucky. That I wasn't catching the right games before, or it's just you know not a coincidence that very recently he has actually started to really dial up the gears. And Vlahovic is a really good striker, young Serbian, so he's 21 years of age. Someone that we actually saw in pre-season for the first time. Jack and I met him when we were working for for BR to do a rondo challenge when we uh, watched Fiorentina train at the New York Red Bulls training facility, and then we watched him play. Um, against Benfica in the in in the ICC tournament. And we all sort of looked at him and went, he looks all right, doesn't he? He looks all mm. right. Sort of powerhouse forward, bustling down the channels, picking up on those second balls, protecting the ball and kind of recycling it. And He'd been banging in goals for my football manager, Fiorentina side, by that point. So I was pretty hot on him already at this point. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. But we saw it for the flesh of the first time. And that was, that was almost two years ago now. And since then, he's broken into the Fiorentina team. He's found this goal-scoring touch. He's currently on 13 goals and two assists in 25 starts in Serie A. So roughly one in two, just over, which is a really good record. Obviously, that's the benchmark we hold strikers to. But he's also got this, this power to him um, and this de- determination. And I would say that if you're looking at, if you're a club in the summer market, if you're a fan of a club who's looking at Erling Haaland, is looking at Romelu Lukaku, and you basically accept that your team ain't getting either of those two, mm-hmm. but you need someone in that similar, very powerful mold, can, di- can play direct, can play, can dribble with the ball, can push defenders backwards, can run into the channels, but can also give you that subtle hold-up play. Vlahovic is probably like the consolation prize, I would argue, for any club that wants to go down that route but can't quite afford two, one or two of those big guns. Vlahovic is someone that should interest you. And if you're Dortmund, you should be looking at him as a backup yeah. plan. 
if you're if you're any any team of that caliber, Vlahovic is someone that that could well be for you. And I just really enjoyed the fact that very recently he feels like he's kind of stringing it together a little bit more consistently, consistently, and and that's a that's a very good sign ahead of the summer. Yeah, I think it's one of those where obviously I would like him to stay in purple, yeah. but he feels like the latest man off the Viola production line who's going to going to move on. And you'd think that if Dortmund sell Holland for 100 million, which is the, the figure being touted around at the moment, now whether that happens or not is a different question, but, but take that out for a second. If Dortmund were to replace Erling Holland with a combination of Dusan Vlavic and maybe Pats and Dakar from mm-hmm. RB Salzburg, they would go a fair way. I would suggest to to repairing the damage that would be done by losing probably the next greatest number nine in world football for the next 10 years. And you've got to understand that Holland is a phenomenal talent, right? And he is irreplaceable in so many ways because of all of the different things that he does. But you give yourself the best possible chance of replacing him if you bring in someone like Varvic, who is a bit like a budget Haaland in terms of where he is in his game right now. And also a striker who's got the record and caliber of Dakar mm. also coming from the same place. It helps and brings that kind of consistency to it. I think that's their best bet at trying to fill that gap. I like that idea. I was actually thinking Daniel Marlon and Dusan Vlahovic. Uh, Marlon is like kind of swing forward who can play wide, can play center. Cause then you'd also have a Sancho kind of replacement ish as well. If that were to happen a year down the line, but just getting two strikers, I guess that probably is on balance the smartest way of approaching Erling Haaland. Yeah, Just get yeah. two. Buy two. Dortmund haven't actually been linked with him, really. Um, AC Milan, Arsenal, Roma, Atletico Madrid, RB Leipzig, they all have. Um, I like him at Roma as, a, as an Ed and Dzeko long-term replacement as well, actually. Mm. I, I like that quite a lot, given the fact that Dzeko's had a very publicised falling out with Pavel yeah. Fonseca. Yeah, Although I can see. I think for her Mayoral, please respect yeah. for her Mayoral. I do reckon there's probably a very decent chance he would decide to stay in Italy if he had big options there. I have to say, would make sense after he's just this season like made his breakthrough in that league and like got to grips with what it takes to be successful. I think he's got 11 in 17 league games a season. Um, so yeah, I, I wonder if he would be tempted by that. But of course, something like Dortmund like is hard to turn down, isn't it? If you get to yeah. go and fill that role. Yeah, but Milan's hard to turn down. If they hit the Champions yeah. League and you get to go and play and sort of rotate with Zlatan, yeah. that's pretty hard to turn down too. And they do need someone like this, don't they? Yeah, of course they do. Yeah, it depends definitely. if you see Rafael Leal's future at, uh, off the left or through the middle, I suppose. I think it's going to be off the left, isn't it? Mm. I it think it should familiar. be. In five years, it should be a number nine. You agree? But I'd, I'd be willing to stock the options here. Yeah. And get and get, get it's a bit like Rashford, well. isn't it? It's like you want him to end up in that middle role, but it just doesn't seem to quite deliver consistently enough when he's put there. Yeah. Okay. Right. We move on. DJ, what do you love this week? I love that um, a colleague of mine, um, Jack, um, <laughs> predicted. I'm, just um, wait, I'm waiting for this. It's like, honestly, it's getting boring. Um, that Atletico Madrid had La Liga in the bag. He went very, <laughs> very early on this. Um, and what do we like to see most uh, within our, our friendship groups? We love to see our friends proved wrong, right? We don't support our mates. We don't give them pats on the back when they're right. We like to laugh at them when they're wrong. And Jack's shout of Atleti. Um, how many how many weeks ago was it, Jack, that you said that this was in the bag? It was about January 12th. <laughs> <laughs> about three months ago um they were 11 points clear with two games they were they were and it should you know for many teams that would have been in the bag but not atleti um barcelona won on monday night one nil against real valladolid um a last minute goal from usman dembele it now means that they are one point off atleti at the top of la liga and there's a very tasty game coming up at the weekend. It's a Clasico, Barcelona and Real Madrid face off. So look, if Barca end up going top of the league after winning the Clasico, then I get the feeling that they're probably not going to let things go from there. I have said for a few weeks now that I think Barca will win the league. Um, Messi seems to have got the bit between his teeth again. He's, he was on the pitch with his family yesterday before the game, celebrating his latest landmark. But And a lot of people in Barca are taking that as a sign that he's staying because you know, the fact that his family are willing to go on the pitch of him and, and celebrate this is significant, it's believed. Um, was there a bit of luck involved? 
Yeah, I think so. There's a little bit of luck involved for Barcelona getting to that, this stage. Is that what you're calling assuming. it? <laughs> you're calling it. Look, I, I would like to put on record that I don't subscribe to the whole corruption claims that, that, that people like to throw around about La Liga. However, however, this weekend, Atleti had a goal scored against the Sevilla that bounces off someone's arm and ends up in the back of the net um, and was not given for a handball. Mm-hmm. And following that, the next day at uh, Barcelona being held quite comfortably, I would say, by Valladolid, who, let me tell you, are incredibly understrength. They are battered, ravaged by injuries um, and were, were holding Barcelona at arm's length until Oscar Plano trips over Dembele in the middle of the pitch. Dembele falls over and he does whack his head into someone's knee another player's knee. And it's not nice. It's not a pretty. It's not the kind of thing you want to see. Although Dembele gets up, obviously, he scores the winner. Um, but Plano is sent off for tripping someone over in the middle of the pitch. Direct red, not like a second yellow. Just sent straight off for a trip in the middle of the pitch. And you do look at that and go, that's a that's a pretty weird decision, that. And, and Valladolid will be rightly fuming that that was given, and because they were, they'd been really good. They'd fashioned chances of their own. They they very nearly scored about the sixty minute mark, where they hit the side netting, and everyone. I think it was one of those where half the ground thought it was in. If there would have been anyone in the ground, um, <laughs> and uh, look, they they'll be fuming that they didn't get a point out of yesterday's game because they they deserved it. But I said it at the time that goals like that from Dembele, whatever happened in the rest of the game. And on the 90th minute mark, it's a very difficult chance. It comes to him high. He has to keep the volley low. And he does. He absolutely hammers it home. And those are the kind of goals that propel you towards titles. So too long, didn't read version of Jack's statement there. I don't believe in corruption. However, this is corrupt. I just, I just think it's a little bit iffy is the word I'd use. Iffy. I would, I would go... I would not go so far to say it's corrupt. I would no. say so far to say that it's not, it, that's it's not, a great, it's not corrupt. It's not a great look. It's getting the rub of the green. Mm. Yeah. It's just and a bit of fortune. Funny how the, the biggest teams tend to get the rub of the green a whole lot more than the rest of the green. Well, it's so pressure pro- from the fans. So oh, I, yeah. like this. <laughs> I, I, like, I like the fact that Jack is obviously backing Atleti in the bag to the hilt. Dean, you're supporting Barca. And right at the start of the season, I said it was Real Madrid's title to lose. So we are yeah. nicely split here between and all Madrid three clubs. And Madrid can still do it. Look, if they win the Clasico... They're only like two points off. They're back, right there they? as well. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm stuck in a horrible position this weekend as well because I need Atleti to win for this prediction. And of course, they're playing Betis. Um, so, so I'm now stuck between wanting Betis to always win and obviously nail down that Europa League spot and my prediction unraveling at a really, really heavy rate of knots. And <laughs> um, so that's, that's something to keep an eye on as well. We're hoping for a draw in the Classico, though. A draw in the Classico would be be great um, and with that I'm going to move on to something that I love uh, and given that I'm getting so much wrong in Spain I'm going to get something right um, back in January I tweeted saying I think that Jesse Lingard might just succeed at West Ham because of the pressure off his shoulders the fact he'll be playing in a, a non-stressful environment and the emotional burden of being a, a United fan will have come off his shoulders now Last night, Jesse Lingard put in his fifth or sixth masterclass in a West Ham United shirt, um, which is nice. And I think kind of emblazoned in my head is the turn for the second goal where he gets to the byline and tries a sort of Maradona 360 flick around a player. That is a player playing with freedom, confidence uh, and, and the kind of weight of emotional turmoil taken away from him. And I'm just delighted to see it to be perfectly honest with you. It's just so nice seeing Jesse enjoying his football again. And look, there's a lot of people on Twitter who are now like, oh, isn't it great that, that Jesse Lingard is, is playing really well, who are the same people that were like, Jesse Lingard isn't good enough to play for Man United last year. And I just want to put it out there that there are some of us who are genuinely happy for Jesse. Um, and I know we talked about him at length and I know we talked about him, Dean, with you saying about the fact that United are delighted that, that Jesse is doing well because it boosts his price tag up, right? And yeah. this summer will be the highest value that Jesse Lingard will ever have uh, at any point because of the way that he's playing for this West Ham side. And he has a massive decision to make. But for now, and I just enjoy the joy in, in so many ways. It is just a, a real delight to watch Jesse Lingard play football at the moment. And and, I, and I'm, I'm reveling in it, frankly. Yeah. So, wow. So, you, so, it's, so it's, again, your thing you love is that you were right. 
Well, considering so, Dean's considering Dean's thing, I love was that I was wrong. <laughs> I thought I would just level the scales a little bit. <laughs> La Liga's corrupt, and I was right. And this has been things we love. Look, well, I was going to talk about Gerard Moreno scoring a hat trick, Sam, but I didn't want to rub it in your face considering it was against Granada, so I left it. <laughs> and now you have the audacity to question me. Didn't happen. But Jack, I mean, you're um, you don't support England when it comes to international football. So no. how do you feel about this? That there's a possibility right now that Southgate is weighing up his squad for the summer. Yeah, and I'd, I'd hope it's Lingard... more than a possibility, to be honest, Dean. I'd hope listen, he's really heavily weighing it up. Listen to this. Listen, let me finish. And his, and his big dilemma is to get Lingard in that squad, which he wants. He leaves out Grealish or maybe even Sancho. Yeah, like, that, would, that would be if wrong. you had to leave out one of those two for Lingard to go. What do you reckon? I, I wouldn't leave either of them out for Lingard yeah. to go. I love Jesse Lingard to pieces and I'm delighted he's doing well, but that there's doesn't chance, mean that I would. Though. Oh, of course there is a chance. And and actually I think there's, there's more than a chance. I think that Gareth Southgate will do this. I, I think that Gareth Southgate will leave. I think he's going to leave Jaden Sancho out. I think and he's going to leave actually, Grealish out. And actually, I think this is a good point, an interesting point, because if he does, we talk about praising players. We talk about praising Sancho for blazing his own trail and going to Germany. We've praised Jude Bellingham for doing the same path, right? About how much of this is out of sight, out of mind. And we question why players don't want to leave the UK. And the fact that Sancho, given the form he is in, yes, he started slowly. But given the form he has been since in a Dortmund team that, let's be honest, are struggling in the league, the fact that he is not being considered as a genuine lock for this playing journey is, a, is exactly why players don't leave England. I wonder if Sancho's biggest problem here is that he, I don't think I've really seen him play very well for England. He hasn't. It just hasn't really happened for him. And Trent is the same, who's recently been dropped. Like Trent is very, very good, obviously, and he should be in the squad. But Trent's England performances are a step or two down from where he goes for Liverpool. And I understand there are different roles at play, but Sancho is kind of the same. Lingard plays well for England. Grealish, on the, in the shots that he's been given, has basically get been man on, on the match, the every, man on the match every single time. Whereas Sancho, like, I reckon that's that might end up... I don't know. Like, obviously, the answer is leave Lingard at home and take the two, like, more talented players. But I wonder if that might cost Sancho. The no, outside out of mind I'm thing, saying, yeah. plus the fact that he just hasn't played very well for England. If it's, yeah. if it's players that play well for England, make sure Adam Lallana is on the plane. Never had a bad game in an England shirt. Yeah, 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 okay. Um, also, by I, the way, we're going to end up taking Eric Dyer to the tournament instead of like a hundred other yeah. significantly more talented players. So yeah. the whole thing's a farce. Yeah. Uh, Grealish has had injuries. I guess that's the one thing that Southgate will be looking at. Like He's, he's got what? Eight games now. To he play. has, yeah. But if there was a slight setback with that, like in a yeah, few weeks' be, time, like there's, fair, there's little things like that to watch out for. Dean Smith has said that Grealish is going to be back for the last five games. He has <laughs> not said featured it in times. any of them. Oh yeah, um, and Aston Villa are mis- yeah, Aston Villa are mismanaging that situation. In terms well, maybe they just left him out against Fulham because they didn't need him. That is a very valid point. <laughs> right, and on that bombshell, let's get on to the Premier League Player of the Year debate. We'll be back after the break. <laughs> Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's time to take a look at the Premier League Player of the Year. Now, voting is open. You've both been sent out your codes as to who you're going to be voting for as this year's FWA Player of the Year in the Premier League. So, Sam, I'm going to throw this to you. You're going to do us a little quick ranking or explain your choices. And then we're going to play it off against Deans and see where both of you lie. Yeah, so first of all, I have received my code to vote, but I always wait to the very, 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 very last moment because fundamentally, I don't really know why I would vote with like eight games remaining. However, this stuff needs to be done in accordance with the end of the season protocol so that they can have a nice awards dinner basically as the season finishes. So they need to get it in order. But the PFA Player of the Year vote works the same way, doesn't it, Dean? The the, the slips are sent out about Mm -hmm. now. I don't really know why, but ultimately the last four weeks... They don't really count. So what's happened so far is the most important thing. And this is when we take stock of it. So I've done a top five. It was really difficult, guys. Like, it really did. I hated this task. <laughs> as, as I almost always do. You set me a task, a big ranking, and I, I grow to despise it as I look into it. But I'm going to start at number five. And we're going to start with a bang. You are going to hate this. <laughs> at number five is Joao Cancelo of Man City. Nice. Mm. Well, I've gone. Well, I will go. I don't hate I, it, but I, it's I, interesting. I expected some some visceral. Well, no, it's not. It's it's not um, offensive, is it? Because he's had an unbelievable season. I just don't think he'll win Footballer of the Year. I'm only I mean, offended that he's actually this low. 
<laughs> well, look, I mean, I, he's not going to win it, obviously. Obviously, he's not going to win it. I, mean, I put him at five, so it means I don't think he deserves to win it. However, I want to throw his name into the conversation because he is one of the few players in football nowadays that I genuinely marvel at. That like he plays three or four positions at the same time, okay? Mm-hmm. And let's draw a comparison with someone who was being talked about at Manchester City in glowing terms, in player of the year terms, even more so than Cancelo in Ruben Dias. And I would argue that if you want to split these two up, and I did have to basically pick between Cancelo and, and a couple of other City players, if you can argue that Dias is made by the system, which I think you possibly can, I think the tactical system and the way City defend will always mean that centre-backs look pretty good, if not excellent. That's not to take anything away from Dias. It's just how I view City's system, defending as a unit. Well, let's say that Cancelo maybe makes the system. So if Diash is made by it, Cancelo is the system. I mean, his crossing, his two-footedness, his shooting, his overlaps, his underlaps, his playmaking, his defending, the fact that he plays like right centre-back, right midfield, right wing-back, right back, right centre-mid, and then sort of gets into the box as well to attack. He can switch sides during games and just cause absolute carnage. He just looks, even in a City team, he just looks like a class above, technically, and mm. with, with regard to his anticipation, his understanding of the game. Like, City look very different this year. They look like a, a real beast, an animal. I don't think that City look like this without Cancelo. I just don't think, he, I don't think it can work, this new system. I th- and I, I, have to, I have to take the opportunity to kind of praise Cancelo for that because he's a fullback. He's not going to be in this conversation, grand scheme. People are not going to talk about this. But I think he's been unbelievable. Yeah, no, I think that's fair enough. I actually like your, I like your system analogy. I would go for a second Game of Thrones analogy in this podcast and I would call him the kingmaker um, because I, I think you're absolutely spot on. I think the fact that this system works so beautifully is based on the fact that Cancelo can do everything, that he he is this Swiss army knife. Oh, here we go. My own here we phrases, go. Um, that, that can slot in anywhere. And, and the fact that he plays on either side and sort of sits into the midfield in the way that you, you could only talk about. There are only a few fullbacks in, in world football who can make that transition, right? Who, who could jump up into that midfield and look comfortable. And I think, weirdly, more centre midfielders would look comfortable at, at, at fullback than fullbacks would look comfortable in centre midfield. Mm. And you, you talk about, you're talking about Philip Lahm, you're yeah. talking about Joshua Kimmich. And you're talking about João Cancelo. The, you know, that's that's the kind of player we're talking about here. And, and actually, when you give that credit, maybe Javier Zanetti should probably be in this conversation, a player that was very capable mm. of doing both. Um, but right now, Cancelo and Kimmich are, are those two players. And often talk about Kimmich as being one of the most complete midfielders in the world these days. And I think Cancelo has operated in such a way for City this season that without him, the entire house of cards may well fall down. Yeah, I take your point here, Sam. Um, I'm going to reveal already my number five because it is related. And I, I did have Ruben Dias as my number five just because... Ooh, Cancelo hater, Cancelo uh, hater. Just because of the impact. And I was thinking like, imagine if Man United had actually gone through with their interest of Dias when they were looking at him. Or imagine, I don't know, Arsenal would signed him. Like there are so many teams that could have had this impact. I understand that he's probably done this well because of the way that Guardiola sets up his team. That's, you know, it helps when you play for the actual best football team in the, in the league to start with. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the fact that he's built this great partnership with Stones and stuff, I've just been really impressed by it. And I'll be surprised if he doesn't get quite a few votes and probably actually will get more votes than Cancelo when it comes to oh, the yeah. actual voting. I think he will. Yeah. And look, I didn't want to discredit Diash there at all. I, I was just trying to use that as an example of, of how important I think Cancelo yeah. probably is. Um, and like City's clean sheet record, what's different? What's different this season to last season in terms of personnel that has made them so strong defensively? Was well, two things. It's Diash is a newcomer and John Stones has come back from the, from, from the brink. So mm. those two storylines are much more enchanting than actually Cancelo looks quite a lot like Philip Lahm. <laughs> and it's just it's just the way narratives work. We know yeah. it. We know it as well as anybody. Yeah, yeah I'm a, obviously a huge fan of narrative. But look, Ruben Dash and has proved a lot of people wrong. Uh, and yeah. we were slightly concerned um, with him coming into this side, I think. And just the way that he set up and the way that we concerned that City were playing before in terms of the high line that might catch him out and not not be able to actually start in. Now, 
Guardiola has adapted his system in the way that brilliant coaches do because he has seen the qualities that Ruben Dias brings to the table and has has played into them and it's been a miraculous partnership as you say with stones and and city's defensive now this season has been nothing short of absolutely spectacular basically what i'm saying here is that ruben Dias needs incredible credit because there were some people who were concerned about whether he would fit or not into this city team and he has slotted in like a glove yeah i mean i've already tried to weasel out of this one a few times haven't i like i, I was i was not particularly sold on this transfer. Um, okay, admittedly, Pep has, has changed a few things to make sure this works. And I can't I can't foresee that. Like, I can't tell the future. But based on what City had and, and how they were playing, I didn't really like the Diash fit at all. I definitely didn't like the way that he defended big spaces, which is obviously part of the remit of a City centre-back. I didn't think he was particularly good at it. There's an argument to suggest that he's still not that good at it. It's just that City have condensed the space. But ultimately... In his first year in the Premier League, off a big price tag in a pandemic hit season, which has seen a multiple new signings crumble under the pressure of personal circumstances and difficulties in their life, which is understandable. Diaz has been basically perfect. And ultimately, you have to give him that credit. Absolutely. Right. Should we go to fourth? Yeah, we're going to four and we'll stay with City. And I tried not to galaxy brain this one, boys. Kevin De Bruyne. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think we can be guilty of overthinking things. And sometimes I think there is an element of consistent brilliance, which is potentially overlooked, where players like De Bruyne in this conversation, I think, will suffer. And players like Mohamed Salah have in the past. And by the way, Salah, you know, spoiler alert, is not in my list. And I don't think he'll be in many people's lists as a result of how Liverpool season has panned out. Mm. But most Salah, bar the odd kind of touchline strop after being subbed off is on 18 goals this season. He's been once again, very, very good, but we do tend to undermine this consistent brilliance sometimes in the search of newer storylines. Don't we? I've tried not to fall foul of that with Kevin De Bruyne, who has been Kevin De Bruyne. I think it's quite a simple argument, really. I mean, he's been excellent. He's currently Premier League wise on five goals, 11 assists. All right. He's not, he's not sort of pushing that glass ceiling and, and, and trying to break Thierry Henry's record this season like he did last season. So it is not much of a storyline, but the guy is unbelievable, isn't he? He's just an absolute difference maker and he is a, a wizard in midfield. Yeah, one of the best crosses in the world. I was going to say the best, but he's using research yeah. on that. It's just automatic. Just the level is consistently eight or nine or 10. Kevin De Bruyne is the best footballer in the Premier League. He yeah. is, isn't he? And it he? feels weird not to put him in this list because of that, right? If he's playing well and he's the best... That's it. Even you know in a I mean? season when, you know, appearances have been limited and restricted um, because of injury, if he plays enough games that you can count him as having an impact on the season, then he's in the running for football of the year because in those games, he will have such influence that he's been the best player around. And yeah, I think if you are the best footballer in the league, then you have to be in the conversation. I think there's a small possibility he could even win it. You know, if he was to have a good run over the next month, I think that like there would be enough people willing to have their minds swayed at this point, because I don't think that many people will have made up their mind who to vote for at this point, because it's not a runaway obvious person. Um, and I think if De Bruyne has, you know, say he has a good game against a good two games against Dortmund in the champions league. And then as a couple of scores, a couple of belters in the league or something, Easily people could vote for Kevin De Bruyne at this point. So, yeah, definitely in the running. There'll be a trend as well, won't there? Like, that people will want to vote for the, a player that plays for the team that wins the league. Lots of people will want to True. do that. And if Kevin De Bruyne is the best player on the league, on the team that wins the league, that will be an automatic conversation yep. for some people internally. Sure. Is there a point here that you have eschewed a different City midfielder in order to facilitate Kevin De Bruyne's inclusion, Sam? You haven't heard the rest of my list. I haven't, but I, I, I'm just putting out there that Ilkay Gundogan mm-hmm. is potentially and should be in this conversation. And I am concerned that your inclusion of De Bruyne might have meant that Gundogan is left out. All right. Well, since, you forced, you, since you forced <laughs> my hand, I will tell you that De Bruyne is fourth. Cancelo is fifth, which means that Gundogan is sixth. You have left Gundogan out of your top five and 12 goals in 23 appearances from centre midfield. More than a, we said earlier in this podcast that we said a goal a game, right? Is about what a goal every two games is what we 
is what we base a striker's metric on. If they're above a goal every two games, then that's good. What about, he's a centre midfielder. <laughs> he's already above that level and you have left him out of the list. <laughs> well, he's played up front for like months, months. So it's not, not necessarily the strongest. Oh, he's a centre mid. But look, as I said, there were some really tough decisions. And I felt, I felt bad about leaving Gundogan out. I guess here's the thought process here. When he first sort of had that real hot streak and pushed up front and played as the nine and started scoring goals, people immediately started going, player of the year, player of the year, player of the year. And it's what people did with, with Ruben Dias when that clean sheet streak started to appear. People immediately just go, player of the year, player of the year. And it, what it does is it, it provokes this kind of reaction from me, which is like, don't be stupid. Like, don't be so reactionary. Don't subscribe to the flavor of the month. And the, the truth is that Gundogan's brilliance continued. Like it did. He wasn't just hot for a month. He's been sensational for, for three or four months. I just wonder if everyone else in this list has been sensational for the entire season. And Gundogan had been a little bit more quiet up until that point where he exploded. Or maybe I just can't get out of my own head and can't forget the reaction I had to that initial suggestion back in January that he he should be player of the year and me going don't be so silly yeah. you never know with these things dean yeah. have you got him in your list i have yeah i've got three man city players um <laughs> and none of them like they are literally three four and five in my list so so gundawan i actually had kdb at three just because i think it's a bit of footballer and gundawan was at four um but yeah like in terms of influencing a season of course he has to be in in this conversation and you know the importance of his goals were ridiculous and also the unexpectedness of it as well to, to take up that role and actually deliver on a on a weekly basis the fact I just waited and waited for it to end and no one else in my FPL league did has cost me dearly because everybody <laughs> else jumped straight on the train and I didn't um yeah he's in it and uh, as Sam says people do like to vote for a player from a team that's won the league and that's why I've got three city players in here because obviously they're going to win the league and the chances are if people that they're, they're the well, Sam's throwing Casello into the mix as well. But there's there's four players there that that people are going to be voting for. Also, John Stones will get some votes because he will actually his, yeah, his yeah, return. Yeah. So there's five. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's weird is that you know in a season that Man City have dominated so heavily and Raheem Sterling, they had a good season. You know, actually they've won the league really without Sterling finding barely any form and De Bruyne being in and out. That's their two biggest players and Aguero not playing at Aguero all. Didn't so. Play. Yeah. That's their three biggest players, really. They've won the league without all three of them, really, hitting top form. I think that's potentially why I would have, if I had a vote, I don't get a vote, um, <laughs> I would have Gundogan ahead of De Bruyne because, De, as you say, he's been in and out. And De Bruyne is unbelievable. I would take absolutely no umbrage with the statement earlier that he's the most talented player in the Premier League. I think it's completely correct. But when he was out, when he was injured, when he, he wasn't stepping up, Ilkay Gundogan was the man that took on that mantle. And I don't think yeah. anyone was expecting that. And that's the reason consistency-wise, I would have him in ahead of De Bruyne this season. You're oh, such yes. a narrative merchant. I am a narrative merchant. Is, is this the first time you've realised this? We've been doing this pod for like two and a half years <laughs> and you've only just realised that I like narratives. Jeez, you need to pay attention. Who's this in is, three? This, this is the Narrative FC podcast after all. Okay, in at number three, and this is where it starts to get pretty serious, I have gone for Bruno Fernandes of Manchester United. Right. Now, Cancelo was the one I thought I'd get the most grief from from you two, which just didn't really turn out to be true. So maybe I'm, I'm, I'm wider the mark on this one as well. But this is the one I reckon sections of the public might disagree with the most because Bruno, as he is, playing for the club that he does at the level that he does, his game has been pretty forensically analysed this season by the fans, by social media, right? Alas, the, uh, the, top, the life of a top player at a top club. But there have been two common forms of dissent the first one is that he scores loads of penalties, Fernandez, which he does. He does score lots of penalties. That's, that's correct. Um, and the second bone it's of not, contention... It's not a problem. It's, it's just a thing. It's just, it's just a fact. Um, and the second point of contention would be that his record in big games isn't very good. And I would also agree with that. Like, it's not that great. Um, but look... If you're using those arguments, there needs to be another part of your brain at the back somewhere tugging at you to say, like, he is he is a really, really good player who has consistently generated wins for the club sitting in second place. The club that a lot of people think, how how is this team in second place? The answer is basically a combination of Bruno Fernandes and kind of Harry Maguire at the other end as well, right? So Bruno 
despite all of his flaws that people like to point out, has created the most shooting chances and shooting actions in the league. He's tied second in the assist chart with Kevin De Bruyne. He's never injured. He's always, always available to play, which is such an asset. And there's a relentlessness and a determination to him and a competitive streak that means his level, he just refuses to drop his level. And there's so many games that they've won this season. Manchester United have won this season. That I'm just like, I don't, I don't know how you've done that or you didn't really deserve to do that. And the answer is basically Bruno's come up with the goods. And you take a little bit of a closer look at his record, right, half of his Premier League goals have come from the spot. That's still eight out of 16, which means he's still scored eight goals from open play in addition to the eight that he scored from the spot. And he's got 11 assists. So he's closing in on that sort of 20 combined figure. The record in big games means I probably, I just can't put him at number one. But when your manager sets up to, to draw every big game nil-nil, how in control of you are, in control of that record are you? How mm. difficult is it? And that's where I start to feel a little bit sorry for him there. But look, I knocked this round in my head a few times. The top, that you know, ordering two and three and four, that was quite tough. But I kept coming back to one very simple fact. He's a winning machine. And we talk about impact of Gundogan. Impact of Bruno has been ridiculous. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of caveated, not caveated. I think it's bolstered by the fact that we talked a lot about Oli's rotation policy, about the fact that he made Bruno lead them out when they were 4-0 up against La Real in the second leg of that Europa League tie in the round of 32 when he just obviously needed a rest. And we saw that come to a head in the Leicester game in the FA Cup where United just looked absolutely browbeaten. They looked mm. absolutely shattered. And when Bruno doesn't play well, United don't. And, and it's as simple as that. And, and that's a question for the manager, whether he needs to be able to rotate better in order that Bruno is fit and healthy for the games that really matter. Because I think that Leicester game, the FA Cup did really matter. I think that's something that will really hurt United in terms of how they look at this season. But with all that said, I think that only goes to reinforce just how crucial Bruno is for this side. They are second. They are exceeding expectations, I think, from the rest of the league, if not quite matching the expectations of their own fan base, which is obviously to win things. But with all that said, there is one man driving this, and, and it is Bruno Fernandes. Like you say, like he, he's always there, and that's what's so impressive as well about him. Like Started 29 of 30 Premier League games this season at a time when almost every manager has complained about the pressure of that players are put under in this scheduling and playing every three, four days. There's barely any other players in the Premier League that would have been able to, to play this consistently. And bearing in mind, he also started five of their six Champions League games and started all four of their Europa League games as well so far. Um, you know, that's, that just shows how... I don't know whether it's good at like managing his own body, whether it's just um, a willingness to get out there, even if he's got a knock. I'm not, probably a mix yeah. of the two, I imagine. Well, his injury record just it just doesn't exist. Yeah, he just it's... doesn't get injured unless he just like plays hobbled, as you say, and he hides yeah. it. And he's 26, you know. So like this is the sort of age when you do imagine that you start to, after playing this many games, it's, it can start to catch up with you. He's got 16 goals, 11 assists in the Premier League from those 30 games this season. Like that's really good. Um, <laughs> that's really yeah, it's very impressive. Very impressive. So, I'm not yeah, going to ask you, Dean. He could, he could win it. I'm not going to ask you, Dean, where you've put him just yet because okay. I would imagine he is. Well, I know you're bottom three, so he's yeah. one or two for you. But we'll roll on to Sam's number two, uh, and we'll we'll get your two and one at the time. Okay. So in it two, I've put Jack Grealish and Aston Villa. It's nothing to do with the fact that his shirt's on my wall. <laughs> it's everything to do with the fact that we're looking at a, a fairly ridiculous season from him, I think. I think he's, he's grown into something genuinely incredible. And both aesthetically and according to the numbers, Grealish is, is it feels really weird to say this, uh, given that he plays for a team like Villa. But like he, he's basically resembling like Eden Hazard's levels at Chelsea. You know, from the left wing, cutting in, drib dribbling machine, creative machine, before he got injured for a, a roughly six or seven game stretch now, and he's supposedly about to return, but they've been saying that for a while. He was top of the Premier League for, you know, sh like shooting chances created for others. Um, and he's only just been overtaken by, by Bruno Fernandes, you know, after his sixth game injured. He has six goals and 10 assists himself. By now, if he wasn't injured, he'd 100% have hit that double-double mark, 10 and 10, and he probably still will for the end of the season as well. He's obviously developed that, that killer instinct. And I don't think there's another player on this list that can pick the ball up midway through his own half and just take on like not one or two players, but like 
five or six players and fashioned a scoring chance. We've multiple times this season, we saw it against Leicester, we saw it against Burnley, there have been a couple of others, I can't quite remember the clubs, where he'll just take the ball, he'll just dribble around pretty much everybody on the pitch and either shoot or create a shooting chance. The power in these runs, in addition to the, the silkiness and the change of direction and the deceleration and re-acceleration that Grealish can provide, there's, there's barely anybody in the world that can really match this. And De Bruyne probably has the same thrust to his dribbles in a straight line but he can't mix in the quick feet and the change in the turn that Grealish does and he's been a marvellous watch and I guess maybe very handily for this conversation we've actually got a really clear picture of what Aston Villa are with him and what they are without him and they're pretty rubbish without him they're not only just like soulless and joyless but they also just like don't function properly and we can now compare them with and without him. And we can see just how much he lifts everybody else and just how much of an impact he makes on an individual level. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, he's unbelievable. I, I, I think this is potentially high, Sam. Um, and, and I don't mean that in a negative. You know how much I love Jack Grealish, um, even with his desperate attempts to make me hate him. Um, <laughs> he, you know, he continues to be one of my favorite players to watch in the entire world. I do think that this massive spell out injured is going to hurt his cause. We were talking in the first part about the fact mm. that it's going to hurt his cause for an England selection, never yeah. mind being considered the best player in this Premier League season. Now, if this question was which players are most important to the team they play for and you had them at, and him at second, I'd probably just about agree with you. I would say he is just, he just pips Bruno Fernandes to like that an, second like an, spot. An MVP style thing. Exactly. Mm. But I don't actually think that is the question. And given Villa's fall off, and, and at one point I was pretty convinced that Villa were on for a top four charge. Um, they looked like a side capable of doing that. At one, side, at one point I made the point that they were probably behind Man City, the most complete side to watch in the Premier League at a time. And they felt like the, most, the side most in control of their own destiny in, in, in many ways. I don't think that's been the case since Christmas, really. And I know that coincides with Grealish's injury and his problems. But I do think that that fall off is going to hugely damage his chances of being anywhere near this award. Yeah, I think uh, the mass the mass voting won't have him in the top five. Um, but I've tried to use the same kind of logic across the board, which is like a, a matter of sort of, sort of consistency and level of performance and and importance as well. I know it's not quite MVP, but there isn't there is a shade of that in this. There has to be because you have to, to be to be one of the best players. You have to be one of the most important players. And um, he's got roughly the same number of appearances as, as Kevin De Bruyne and, and Ilkay Gundogan in the league. And pound for like in terms of value of importance and performance levels he's he's matching them if not bettering them and he's dragged a team that finished 17th last season into what you just described as a potential top four challenge until he got hurt which is absolutely ridiculous yeah. like it's ridiculous and what if he's he done. didn't if he didn't get hurt and he was continuing to drag that team towards the top four challenge i would suggest that he would be very much within this list but that's not the case mm. dean i would imagine you don't have jack Grealish in your top five I don't know. I mean, my list was made up of players I genuinely think would have a shout of winning it. Um, I think Grealish will get some votes because... And so he should. He's he's unbelievable. You know, most people voting will will be English and there are people that just like to vote for English talent. And and I understand that. Um, I would just... Irish talent. I would would just bunch him beneath it with a cluster that I would throw Declan Rice and Mason Mount into the same bracket as, as where I would have Jack Grealish, to be honest. Um, and they would they would be in they've had brilliant seasons like I'm not I'm not doubting it that um, if he was young enough to be considered young player of the year I'd give him that but he's not he's 25 um, well the young player restrictions are actually quite stupid he's probably neat, close actually, to being in that he actually might you're right so they set the bracket at about 26 or something stupid <laughs> but anyway yeah for me that doesn't count you know if he was like 22 23 then then maybe but he's 25 now um yeah, look, he's had a great season. I would just have him like sixth or seventh on my list. Yeah. I think Mount Mount might be the young player for me of yeah. the year. Oh, right. You know, Rice as well. Like they've they've had such impressive seasons because again, expectations aren't high of them. You you're waiting for that for that dip, just like we always waited for the Harry Kane dip that never came. I hope we don't ever get the dip with, with these players either. Yeah. I mean, and someone will there will be arguments to say that Thomas Suchek should be 
in yeah, that yeah. conversation yeah. as well um, because he's had a similar impact i think on his side mm-hmm. you know uh, uh, some of these players have for theirs so the, yeah. you know that's something to consider but i think also, it's probably time to move also, to ruben, D- ruben diaz is 23 give him a young player you know whatever we'll make everybody happy but into number one and, and, and dean's just mentioned him um i only i only needed about a minute to figure this one out the rest of the list was very difficult. Uh, I moved it around a lot and I had to chop some City players out and had to consider a few things. But in a weird season, I know we say that a lot, but in a weird season, there's been one sort of pillar of consistency in a team that has played to a level that looks significantly worse than the sum of its parts, which for those unfamiliar with that cliche is the wrong way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to be playing better than the sum of your parts. Tottenham are playing significantly worse than the sum of their parts. And the one pillar of consistency up top, rain or shine, bad performance or good performance has been Harry Kane scoring and assisting goals. There's an MVP element to this, but there's also just a flat out player of the year element to this as well. He is currently top of the Premier League for goals and assists. So statistically, this one is pretty easy to back. Like he said, the most shots in the league. So naturally, more shots equals more goals if you're very good. He's also created the 10th most shooting action. So again, the underlying numbers are he is consistently either shooting and scoring or creating chances for others. And earlier in the season, it was a little bit more skewed to serving up chances for Hume and Son, where he dropped in and became much more of a playmaker. Later in the season, I wouldn't say refound his scoring boots because he never really lost them. He's just taken a bit more of that onus, maybe due to the fact that there have been some injuries to Son. But all rounds, taking immense responsibility for a Tottenham team that just doesn't function properly most of the time. Amazing hold-up play, incredible creative incisive passes that lots of midfielders would be proud of, they could only dream of. Good work rate, and of course, he's one of the deadliest finishers in the game as well. So overall, for 32 combined goal contributions... Eight or nine games to go, that's going to rise. The guy is nuts. He's absolutely nuts. And yeah, just again, just to reiterate, some of these places, some of these players were hard to place. The top five was in part hard to build. Only took me a minute to figure out that Kane should be top of this list. Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that Tottenham are, have been so bad, especially yeah. of late, only goes to reinforce just how ridiculous it is that Harry Kane is top of the goal scoring and assisting charts. That is, is, is ludicrous. It is absolutely insane. And it, it's very difficult to argue with it. I mean, Dean comes nicely to you. Have you got Kane top? I have got Kane top. Yeah. And look, I'm going to presume that, that Kane will win footballer of the year. Um, again, there's that English element. And there's also the fact that the stats back it up. And there have been so many games where it's been so obvious that he is what still makes this team tick. And people love to see that star man making the difference. And I think that it counts for so much. And like um, Sam says about the, the goal involvement, only Lewandowski's got a be- better record in the whole of Europe across the top five leagues, right? I mean, and his his numbers are stupid because he's got 35 goals on his own in Bundesliga without bringing <laughs> him to the, the six assists or the seven other goals that he scored across uh, Champions League and Club World Cup. So let's take Lewandowski out of the equation for now and, and just say that, look, what can you say? Harry Kane is doing everything he can to prove that he is the best all-round forward in the game right now and I see a lot of debate at the moment about from various teams particularly those in the Premier League like okay it comes to it say you're your Man City your Chelsea this summer you need a striker um, you can go for Haaland but you could also get Kane who would you go and the fact that that that's the conversation just just goes to show how good this guy is because I think a lot of those people would still choose Kane because he's got so much to his game beyond just the goals there's that work rate he just never stops working for the team defensively and he'll drop into those deep positions which he's done so often this season played almost that like quarterback role and just dropped into his own half at times and pinged balls out to son or whoever it is that's made the run and yet he's still got all these goals himself as well like it's an unbelievable season and i think he'll win it that means you have bruno at two i'd imagine i did have bruno at two yeah 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 Okay. Um, yeah, look, it's it's one of those things. And and there will always be this sense that because it's voted, as you say, by English people, English people get English players get a, a an easier run at this. It's much more difficult for a foreign player to win the award, which it shouldn't be, which it shouldn't be, but it's the way of the, the way of the world. And I think that Harry Kane probably has the best shot at this. I would just caveat that Tottenham have been so poor <laughs> in and and actually without Kane. 
there have been questions raised whether Tottenham being a relegation scrap, um, which is who's, nuts. Who's raising these questions? Well, think about it. How many goals and assists are we talking? Sure, but you can't. The, the argument doesn't work that you just take that out and then Tottenham don't get any of those. They obviously no, no, have no. somebody else playing on the pitch, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but okay, but take out what sixty percent of them. Well, How good is Harry uh, Kane compared to the next person? You are you are underestimating Vinicius, Carlos Vinicius. Am, am, am I now? Am I? Do you <laughs> yeah, think maybe. I really am underestimating Carlos? Vinicius? A man who will score a tap in as if uh, and then celebrate as if he scored a forty yarder will always like, have a place at my table. Do yeah. like that celebration? By the I way, I just want to I just want to remind people of like past winners of this award for like the last few years because we're talking there about like the tendency that a British or an English player will get it. And I mean, last year, Jordan Henderson won it when, when uh, obviously Liverpool won the league. The season before that, Raheem Sterling won it when Man City won the league. Then Salah and Kante won it the two seasons before that. And then there was Vardy in the 2015-16 season. So look, there is a tendency that whoever wins the league, it's one of their players, but it's not always the case. Um, it's it's almost like it's one or the other, right? It's like, I think it's, it's always, mate, I think it's the case that if you can give it to an English player justifiably, I think people do it. Yeah. Whereas, like, obviously, and, with those, and, and I think you can this year. Give oh, 100%, yeah, I probably will. I mean, I, I, I haven't one hundred percent decided yet, as we say. But at, if I had to vote today, I would vote for Harry Kane. Yeah. I also we still get three more weeks to vote or something like that. So you never know. Maybe like Gundogan will score nine goals. Maybe. That would be yeah. Great. I, w- I would like that. That would make me happy. <laughs> I, w- I would enjoy. If it does, Jack, I tell you what. If Gundogan scores nine goals in the next three weeks, on behalf of you, I will vote for him. Me Excellent. too. Thanks very much, Dan. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Right. Should we get on to Melon of the Week and the gibberish rankings? Don't go anywhere. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Answer me this. How long have you had that mattress? Because it's looking even lumpier than my lockdown love handles. And while those might be more cuddly, a lumpy mattress is doing nothing for your comfort levels or your sleep. So whatever body you're rocking, put it on a Nectar mattress. And right now you can save over $500 on any queen or king bundle. That includes a Nectar mattress, foundation, mattress protector, cooling pillows, and sheet set, as well as our 365-night home trial and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com save 500 and get hugged. Welcome back to part three of Ranks FC. And Dean, it's time for my favourite part of the show. It is, Jack. By the way, did you see that video I sent you recently of Dylan genuinely walking into a grocery store, finding a melon, picking it up and say, Daddy, it's melon of the week. (laughs) Send this to Jack and Sam. Yeah, and then I was like, okay, now we're going to record a video of this and send it to Jack and Sam. Um, That was a very, very proud moment for me, seeing that the the genes are continuing. Right, let's go. (laughs) Considering Dylan isn't the start of the podcast anymore, he's been usurped by the great... No, he's not happy about that. He's going to do a re-record because he's much better at talking since he recorded the last one. He thinks he is um, better than Derek Ray. Maybe we could get a a space going where Dylan actually does the jingle for Mm. Melon of the Week. Yes, yes. Okay, yeah, I'll try it. I'll try it. I'll start recording over the Easter holidays and see if we can get a good one. Let's see if we can find one. Right, but for now, I'm afraid it's you, mate. Okay, it's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Jose Mourinho. Jose Mourinho. I thought you were going to give it to Nico Schultz. I did consider it, especially as we watched that moment together when he looped a header into his own net for... What goal? Yeah, it was. I mean... Unbelievable finish. Meant to head it one way and actually decided at the last minute to head it the other way into his own goal. Um, but, and then Mourinho came out with this and I just couldn't ignore it. So Tottenham throw away a, a win against Newcastle, one of the worst sides in the Premier League, um, yet again. And after the, afterwards, Mourinho's asked, why do you have so much trouble reproducing the ability to hold on to leads that you seem to have at other clubs? And he says, well, same coach, different players. <laughs> And then he, and then he says this stuff about see these white hairs is is because of basically the players that I'm managing not being able to to play at the level I need them to play at, and it, and it gives me grey hair. And no, mate, stop this! Like you've done it again. You're throwing the players under the bus again. When and also actually, there's there's another element to this is that um, 
he said he claimed that Toby Alderweireld had only just returned from international duty to training the day before the game. Well, in fact, photographs and video footage had shown Alderweireld training on Thursday and Friday and Saturday leading into the game. I thought it was even back to Wednesday. So it's like, I'm not sure. Well, maybe, listen, maybe Mourinho didn't spot him there. Maybe, maybe he didn't know. Yeah, but the idea was that he couldn't take a COVID test because he got back too late or something to be eligible, but he'd been there for like three days. Yeah. And his other problem was that one of his other centre-backs that he did pick, Davinson Sanchez, shouldn't be on the pitch. Like he's, he, he is playing a like time. a melon right now and he's lucky not to get this award. But because of his boss, um, I'm going to ignore that for now because look, Mourinho's got to stop this. The Tottenham players are are losing patience with him. They've had enough of constantly hearing him make up excuses and directing attention away from himself, whether it was, you know, Deli Ali or Ndombele or whoever he's decided to pick on that week personally, or even if he doesn't necessarily name the player, then he's just throwing generally as many people under the bus as he can. Like it's got to stop. Uh, Mourinho out starts here. Um, <laughs> Melon of the week. <laughs> I mean, it won't, it won't stop, will it? Unfortunately, um, there's just, Every manager just needs to take a take a breath and just compose themselves before they start speaking through that microphone, don't they? It, they have to bury their frustrations and they have to be a little bit more magnanimous and gracious and level-headed. And every now and then it just kind of boils over and it slips out, right? And he's like, oh, like that. And it comes out and we've just got such a track record of it now with Jose that it's just hard, hard. Yeah. It just continues. It goes on and on and on. And the truth is the man is now speaking gibberish <laughs> very good very good it's time for the gibberish rankings and sam you have not done a gibberish and dean you have not done a gibberish so it's been left to me and i've decided not to do a gibberish instead i'm going to read out something that we were sent by one of our patrons mo hassanin who sent us this brilliant message uh, at two in the morning this morning. Now, I don't know where Mo is in the world, so it might not have been two in the morning. <laughs> it probably wasn't. But it, it was two in the morning for me, and it was an enjoyable message. He said, hey, Ranks, seeing this picture made my day, and I decided to make a ranking of it. The picture in question is a picture of the three of us at Sam's in the garden for the Copa del Rey final. And Mo says, I remember the first time seeing my boys since the pandemic. It put a huge smile on my face. So I decided to do a small ranking of your smiles and how happy you guys look in the picture. <laughs> Three, Jack. <laughs> Hates Sub us. Subtle facial movement, but very obvious that there is joy in his soul. Of everyone's friends group, there is the one weird guy who doesn't smile with his teeth. Me and Jack are both the weird guys. <laughs> <laughs> Two, Dean. Just like their personalities, Jack and Dean's smiles are complete opposites. I love the passion Dean puts into saying cheese like a school yearbook picture. <laughs> If only Dean smiled like this during the transfer season. <laughs> this is good. Which means... One, Sam. Yes. The porridge is right with this one, lads. Just enough mouth shape, just enough teeth, and a whole lot of happiness on this man's face. Very natural and unforced, and that's why it's at the top of my list. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you why Sam was happier, because it was at his house. Yeah, he didn't have to drive for an hour and a half. He didn't have to put up with the hour London. and a half journey there in the traffic. That's why Sam's happier. Dean and I had been sitting on the M25 for the best part of two hours before this photo was taken. Yeah, but I'd been in my garden hammering flags to my fence with nails. I mean, I, I had you or no, had Rachel? Rachel had been up in the garden <laughs> hammering nails to the fence. <laughs> she was chief exterior designer. I was that. I was handy Andy. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't think there was much designer. handy about what you were doing. You it was flag designer, way. I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, right, well, thank that you was so good. much Thanks for sending that, that in. Brilliant. I enjoyed yeah. that. Enjoyed, I enjoyed that, that very much. Um, it made me laugh this morning. So very good. it was a good spot for the... Dug us out of a hole as well. Exactly. And with that, boys, probably time to call this a day. Uh, and all that's left for me to do, say thank you very much to Mr. Sam Tai. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much to Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you as ever for listening. We would love it if you like the show, if you would go and leave us an iTunes review oh, yeah, or rating. Uh, we haven't had any for a while. It's nice yeah. to, to help us grow, help us keep growing. It, it really does make a difference. Uh, and so if you have 
two minutes to spare and listen to this on Apple, um, please go and give us a, a rating and a review. It would, it would really help us help us out. So, yeah. Um, and with that, we will see you next week, Rank Squad. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the Champions League and the Europa League this week. Uh, if you fancy the, the shift from a Wednesday into a Thursday, there's a Europa League breakfast show I think you could check out. Um, and that's all from <laughs> us. Take it easy, Rank Squad. Peace. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. 